0: Hey guys, it's Miller. He's alive, resurrected. We're celebrating that. This is the Gospel Galatians 2:20. Uh, it is Paul addressing Peter, who has deviated from the truth of the gospel. And I think Galatians 2:20 is the framework we view the gospel through, along with so many other verses. But I'll try to simplify it for you. So enjoy Galatians 2:20. If you have your Bibles, or if you have your iPhones you have something that has a Bible on it, would you open that up for me and go to Galatians chapter two? Galatians two. It is awesome to be with you this morning. If you're visiting with us, you got a little taste of what we love to do. We love to worship Jesus. Uh, we believe the one that we're celebrating uh, that is risen, sends his spirit into this room and that we get to engage him, we get to love him, we get to love on him, we get to minister to him. That The word of God is for us, preaching is for us, but what we just did was for him. It was us moving him, us blessing him, us singing to him. Do you know that he hears you? He's bending his ear, and and little you, say "Little little me. Move big him. He, he, he's provoked by you. He's provoked by you coming here this morning. If you haven't been in church for, uh, months, years, and you're here this morning, he sees you and he's moved by you coming into this room. He's moved by you singing songs. He's moved uh, by your heart. And so, um, we love to love on him this morning. I want to, I just want to present to you the gospel. I wanna make sure that you've heard the full gospel. I I think at times when I hear the gospel, uh, I hear a partial gospel. And I wanna make sure that the gospel you hear this weekend at the upper room is the full gospel. Um, And so if you have any confusion about what the gospel is, if you have any confusion about what Christianity is, that you would leave today knowing that you've heard what the gospel is. And uh, I'm gonna boil it down to one verse. I'm gonna boil it down Uh, to a a simple verse so that you can see uh, what Paul defined the gospel as. And so would you do me a favor before I do that? I wanna pray for your heart. I wanna pray that it's tender and that it's open and that you're ready to receive the word of the Lord and that if he knocks on your heart, you'll answer. If he comes and he says, hey, I want inside there, that you'll say, come on in, that he'll find a yes in your heart. Uh, because the one that we're celebrating that has risen, he wants to take up residence inside of you fully. So would you put your hand on your heart? And uh, Lord, I pray for this real estate that you paid a lofty price for. You could, you could live anywhere. You created the heavens and earth. You could, you could choose to live anywhere. And Lord, you have chosen human hearts to make your abode. You paid a lofty price so that you could dwell as you are inside of us. That's what this weekend is about. You found a home on the earth through the sacrifice of your son, and it is our hearts. And so would you come and take up residence once again, or maybe for the first time in some hearts, I pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. So Galatians chapter two, let me set the context for the verse that we're gonna read. Um, Galatians two is a conversation that the apostle Paul was having with the apostle Peter. Uh, These are probably two of the most prolific First century Christians. Uh, Peter, if you're not familiar with who Peter is, Peter traveled with Jesus. He was one of the 12 disciples. And then when the Holy Spirit fell uh, in Acts chapter 2... Upon the 120, which would have been the first church gathering, it would have been the birth of the church. So this weekend is Passover weekend. We will celebrate Pentecost, which is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, preached the first Christian sermon. So Peter was the first proclaimer of the gospel. So he's a pretty big deal. And he's going to have a conversation with Paul. Paul would become an apostle. Paul did not travel with Jesus. Paul was actually a, a, a Jew. He was a Pharisee who excelled in uh, the law. He was known in the Jewish community, but he had a radical conversion on the road to Damascus. And so... Paul was going to Damascus actually to kill Christians. He was going to persecute them. But Jesus revealed himself to Paul and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? If you're killing my people, you're actually persecuting me. And Paul was blinded for three days, and he was born again. Jesus revealed himself and revealed the gospel to Paul. And so Paul and Peter, uh, they weren't best of friends. You would think they would be best of friends, but they weren't actually best of friends. Paul was kind of an outlier. Paul went into uh, Arabia. He went into the desert for 14 years and he learned the gospel from Jesus himself. He studied the scriptures and he learned the gospel, but Paul was known among the church, but he wasn't running with these patriarchs and with the core of the church. He was preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, but uh, we know that that Paul came into Jerusalem one time and uh, explained the gospel and they had a conference, which is in Acts 15, but then Paul uh, had A moment at Antioch where he confronted Peter. He confronted Peter. That Peter, the one who preached the gospel for the first time, had actually deviated from the gospel. And so we're going to hear this confrontation in Galatians chapter 2. So this would be like Superman and Iron Man of the church having a conflict. And it's recorded for us in scripture. We're going to read it. This is Galatians chapter two. You with me? So look at this. Galatians two, we'll start in verse 14. This is Paul writing. He says, when I saw that they, meaning Peter and his companions, were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. (laughs) It's profound to me that Paul was not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He proclaimed the gospel for the first time. So can I propose something to you just right out of the gates? That if Peter, who proclaimed the gospel for the first time, deviated from the gospel, wasn't in line with the gospel, could it be that we, 2,000 plus years later, might have deviated as well? Could it be that there could be proclaimers of the gospel that might have deviated as well? Could it be that there's churches that are proclaiming the gospel that could have deviated as well? So whatever Paul's about to say is really important. And again, I want to make sure that you've heard the whole gospel, because the gospel is good news, but the gospel's costly. The gospel costs Jesus something, and when you hear the gospel and you respond to the gospel, it will cost you something. The gospel... Let's hear it. I don't want to preach the gospel yet. I want to read my scripture. So here we go. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I, Paul, said to Cephas Peter in front of all of his friends. And here's the quote. You are a Jew. Yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew because the gospel set him free from the law. How is it that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So the, the, the context here is that Peter was preaching the gospel, and when Gentiles who were not Jews were converted, he actually brought them into Judaism and Christianity. He mixed the two. And so Paul's confronting him, saying there's a distinct difference between Judaism and Christianity. And so he's gonna gonna give commentary on that, but it's verse 20 that I wanna highlight, and this is a part of the same conversation. So you can read for yourself verses 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19, but I wanna show you verse 20, because verse 20 is the trump card. Verse 20 is the the crescendo of the conversation. It's the point of the conversation. And verse 20, I believe, is the gospel according to Paul. It's the gospel in a verse. And so here's Galatians 2.20. He says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul. Paul saying, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, so the, 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 the physical body that I've been given, the life that I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith in Jesus who loved me, and he demonstrated that love by giving himself for me. So I think the gospel is found in this verse, and I want to break this verse into two parts. The first part is Paul talks in past tense, and it's where it starts. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. So he's pointing to the historical fact that Christ Jesus was crucified. It's what we're celebrating this weekend, that Good Friday is the work of salvation and the work of the cross. And so Paul's reflecting on that, and he's looking at the historical fact that Christ died, but he's not just saying that Christ died for me, which you've heard that. Christ died for you. How many of you have heard that? Christ died for you. But Paul doesn't say that. Paul doesn't say, Christ died for me. Paul says, I actually died with Christ. That's Christ dying for him, but it actually takes it a step further, and it says, you know what? His death, I'm associating with it to the point that his death was my death. Now, this this leads us to the full gospel. And... And I don't know about you, but, 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 but your past has power. Yesterday will show up today. And oftentimes it shows up with power. And so Paul is looking back at, at, at what Christ has done. And he's saying that my past, we're going to see this in a second, that, that Paul's past no longer defines him, but that Christ's past defines him. Now, he, here's the truth. We all have a past. And, and our past shows up. Uh, for me... Um, My past showed up in January of this year at Love Field Airport, which is just a mile or two from here. I was uh, rushing to an airplane uh, late for a flight. I had my bags. And as I'm going down the terminal trying to get to my gate, the tile at Love Field was off about a half inch. Now, you wouldn't know it if you're just walking. I probably uh, wouldn't have paid attention to it, but... But something happened when my ankle hit this half tile, half inch tile that was off is the weight of my body landed on my left ankle. And my left ankle gave way and I did a full-on yard sale at Love Field. <laughs> I twisted my ankle and everyone's looking at me. Now, Maybe may be like, that's, that's strange. Why did your ankle give way? Well, it's 2023, but something happened in 1990. There's a picture behind me. This is, you probably haven't heard of us, but you should have. Uh, This is me. I, I think this is me going into either my eighth or ninth grade year, but I know what we had just accomplished. I know what we had just accomplished. You know what we had just accomplished? We were the 1990 champions of Hoop It Up age 16 and under. You may not know what Hoop It Up is, but Hoop It Up was a a nationwide basketball tournament. They would come into cities like Dallas, and they would fill downtown areas. In Dallas, it was West End, and they would put over 200 basketball courts in West End, and they would throw a tournament for all ages. And uh, you'd play to 21, and uh, we actually won the one in Dallas, and they invited us to the national tournament in Austin, Texas. And so that summer we went to Austin, Texas and we were the champions. But in the championship game, something happened. I know, I know, I know, I know, thank you. (laughs) Something happened in the championship game. I was uh, going up for a layup and the guy was contending to block the shot. And as he hit me in such a way, my body twisted and these makeshift goals that they put in the middle of the street had steel beams to support them, to stand them up. And when I landed on my, coming down from this layup, my my left ankle landed on that steel beam and I twisted my ankle. And the doctor said, hey, if you ice it and rehab it, it shouldn't be an issue, it'll get better. Well, guess what? It didn't. And so January of 2023, I'm late to a flight and I'm rushing to my gate and I hit a tile that's half off and I'm yard sailing. Everyone is looking at me thinking what just happened, but internally I'm smiling, why? because I know I'm the 1990 Hoop It Up champion. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, that's right. People see a yard sale, but I see a middle school basketball champ, (laughs) right? What's my point? My point is that your past has power. Your yesterday shows up today. There was a study done at Mount Sinai Hospital. It was a a scientist researcher named uh, Yehuda. You can look this up. And uh, she was doing some blood work on 32 Jewish men and women uh, who had been interned in Nazi concentration camps. They were Holocaust survivors. They had witnessed or experienced torture uh, from the Second World War. And she found something interesting inside of uh, their genetics, and it was a stress hormone that was in their blood, and it was unique to all 32 of these Holocaust survivors. And she concluded that this stress hormone inside of their blood was from what they had endured in the Holocaust camp. Well, she didn't stop there. She took blood work from each one of the 32 men and women's children, and guess what? She found the same stress hormone in each one of their children. And so she didn't stop there. She went to the Holocaust survivors' children, children, so the grandchildren. And guess what? The same stress hormone was found in their children's children, children. What's my point? Is It's not only what you've been through, but it could have been what your parents' parents have been through. That there's such thing as a generational heritage, a generational lineage, that there's tendencies that you may have based on what you inherited from your forefathers. It could be uh, hereditary diseases. It could be hereditary cycles. But what has happened affects you today. What you've been through and what your family's been through matters. And Paul starts with a historical fact, and I love the gospel presentation in Genesis 2.20. It's not what Paul went through, it's what his Savior went through. It's what Jesus went through. He looks back and he says, Christ's crucifixion, what Christ endured. He's saying, Peter, listen, you're deviating From where it all began and where it all began was with christ's crucifixion and it had purpose christ died with an intent and christ didn't just die for you christ was dying as you and this is the gospel we have been told that jesus died for the forgiveness of sins and it's true jesus died on that cross to forgive you of your sins but it's deeper than that it's not just that your sins are forgiven We've heard that, but this is the partial gospel, because if your sins are forgiven, he didn't deal with the root of the problem, because those sins are in your life for a reason. What is the reason? The reason is that you have a nature, and the Bible calls that nature a sinful nature. What does that mean? It means that the sins that you're producing point to a deeper issue. They're rooted in a deeper problem. And it's at the core who you are. That you've fallen short of the glory of God. You've fallen short from your original design. That you have, mankind, we all have been twisted because of sin's ramification in us. There's no one righteous before God. And so God knew this, and he knew that you didn't just need uh, forgiveness. He knew that you needed a new nature. He knew that you needed an overhaul. Listen, listen, Christianity isn't about changing you. Christianity is not about change. You know what Christianity is? Christianity is about replacing you. The gospel doesn't serve you. You know what the gospel does? The gospel actually slays you. The gospel is a total overhaul for who you once were. Paul is saying, I have been crucified with Christ, that Christ didn't just die for me, Christ died as me. Why did he need to die as me? First, second uh, Corinthians chapter five says this, that Jesus who knew no sin, say who knew no sin, Jesus, who knew no sin became sin. So if he knew no sin, how did he become sin? Because the only sin that Jesus knew was you and I's sin. So it says he became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. It's such good news. A.W. Tozer says it this way. He says, the only sin Jesus has ever known was ours. The only righteousness we can ever have is his. And Paul's life was defined by this reality. So sin has, sin has two, two, two dynamics to the cross. And, and this, again, is the full picture of the gospel. And we've heard this first part quite a bit, is that sin has a penalty. Sin has a penalty. Sin has a penalty. There was a price to be paid because of sin. Uh, The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. So Jesus dying our death is paying a wage that sin demanded. I don't know if you have a job, but you don't work for free. You work to receive a wage. Well, sin works and sins wage for its work is death meaning the outcome of sin is ultimately death so in order for jesus to relate to your sin he went to the root of it and he died to pay the wage to meet you in the state that you were in because before the eyes of the father we were all dead so he paid the penalty for sin but it wasn't just that he paid the penalty for sin, because if he just paid the penalty for sin, then then again, the, the, the forgiveness of sins would be awesome, but we would continue to produce the sin that was within us. So not only did he pay the penalty for sin, but he destroyed the power of sin. He destroyed the power of sin. What is the power of sin? The power of sin is what's producing the sin in our lives. And here's the next step of the gospel, where I want to take it a little further, is that that Christ didn't just come to forgive your sins. He came to uproot the sinner in you. Do you know that before the eyes of God, if you're born again, you're not a sinner, you're a saint? You're the righteousness of God, you're holy, you're blameless, you're justified? Here's an analogy that Watchman Nee uses. Watchman Nee's a, a... just uh, an incredible, prolific writer. Uh, he was one of the fathers of the Chinese church in the 1900s. Um, his stuff is just, it's fascinating. He spent uh, 20 plus years in the Chinese prison. He was tortured and uh, just just a patriarch in the Chinese church and has written a lot of stuff that's been translated into English. That's amazing. And um, he wrote a book called The Normal Christian Life. It's The Normal Christian Life. And he's talking about the new nature that we now have. And in this book, uh, he... He talks about the the fundamental nature inside of us as sinners needing to be dealt with. And he he uses an analogy. And the analogy is, uh, imagine that uh, a nation uh, decided to remove all alcoholic drinks. He calls it strong drink, which I like. is that imagine they chose to remove strong drinks. So beer, liquor, wine from a nation. And what the authorities began doing is they went from house to house, establishment to establishment, and they confiscated all of the strong drink in the land. Well, once they went through every house, they returned back to the first house that they started, and guess what? They found strong drink in the cupboard. Like, how did this strong drink get here? We already took it away. Well, what they did not do is they did not shut down the factories that were producing the strong drink. And so his point is, if you wanna get rid of strong drink in the land, what you need to do is you need to shut down the drink-producing factories, the breweries, the distilleries throughout the land. They must be closed down if the drink is to be permanently settled. What's his point? His point is this we are the factory. His point is that the, the actions are the products, and that the blood of Jesus dealt with the question of our products, namely our sin, but the cross shut down the factory. It shut down the factory. <coughs> that we can be dead to sin, that we can be dead to the power of sin. Why? Because I've been crucified with Christ. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying that my life has been found through Christ's death. Oh, this is good news. A historical reality for Paul. He was dead to himself. He was dead to sin. He was dead to his works. He was dead to self-help. He was dead to behavior modification. He was dead to uh, self-change. He was dead to his past. He was dead to his faults, his failures, and his mishaps, which is pretty significant for Paul since there was blood on his hands that would have been the first century church. He was dead to his resume, his accolades, and trophies. Paul was dead to others. He was dead to their opinions. He was dead to their thoughts and approvals. Paul was dead to all things but one, it was the resurrected Lord. This redefined everything for Paul, and it has to redefine everything for us. Uh, Listen to Paul's resume. Listen, you you talk about accolades, you talk about accomplishments, you talk about trophies that we have. Paul, Paul was the man in his hour. In, In the Jewish sect that he grew up in, he excelled all. Listen to this. It says, I myself could boast as having confidence in what I've accomplished. If anyone thinks he's confident in the flesh, I have more reason. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born of the nation of Israel. I was the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as of the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, which is in the law, I was found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, these I have counted as a loss because of Christ. And the surpassing value of knowing him. Jesus became Paul's resume. Jesus became Paul's boast. Jesus became Paul's life. Should it be anything less for us? Like truthfully, should it be anything less for us? You see, I think one of the problems in Western church, evangelical church, is that we've watered down the gospel. People are concerned about a generation leaving the faith. Like the most common Box people check when it comes to religion is none. They don't wanna be affiliated with it. And I'm sorry if you've been hurt by the church. I'm sorry if you've heard a watered down gospel, but this thing that we're talking about, the Christian life, it's not about a building. It's not about a church service. It's about newness of life. It's about, it's about accessing something that you could not access outside of faith. And the one who gave you access to it. And ultimately, it's not just about what he's done. It's about the one who did it. It's about the knowledge of Jesus. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. No one like him before. No one like him after. For eternity, there will be no one like the one that we're speaking about. And the cross is the defining the defining mark of Jesus' life. What do you mean by that? I mean this. I mean the one that died, so he was crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. Well, when you understand why he was crucified as an offering for you and for me and what he went through, it is a work of salvation. What's salvation? Salvation's rescue, it's deliverance, it's healing, ultimately leading to freedom. So, so salvation, it's the work of salvation. You could not save yourself, so you needed someone to work salvation for you. Oh. Come on, Sunday morning, upper room. You couldn't do it on your own. You couldn't flex, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't try. You would fall so far short. And yet Jesus, Jesus came to do a work for you and to do a work in you. This is the work of salvation and this is the cross. So he does this work and then he cries out on Good Friday. His last words are, "It is Finished. What's finished? What's finished? It's important to understand what's finished. The work for mankind's salvation—not just the church's salvation, but mankind's salvation. Those in the church, those outside of the church, those believing, those that don't believe—it is for all of mankind because we all need to be saved. It is. You do not have to be very smart to understand that we have a problem in society. We need a savior. We need someone to rescue us. We're looking for that. We're looking for it in politics. We're looking for it in sports. We're looking for it across the spectrum. Because innate to us, we know something's off. And Jesus came and he said, it is finished. What is finished? The work to be saved is finished. The cross is sufficient to deal thoroughly with the problem that was inside of mankind before the eyes of God. Now, now now, listen, it, it, it didn't end there because Jesus' dead, lifeless body was taken off of that cross. Oil was put upon it. He was wrapped up, and he was put inside of a grave for one day. That's Saturday. And there's some spiritual ramifications to what he did on Saturday, but he was buried on Saturday. So he dies a death. He's buried, but the women came to the tomb on Sunday morning, which is what we're celebrating today. And there was an angel that had rolled away the stone and Mary coming, she looks inside and she goes, the body's gone. Where's the body? What have you done with the body? Well, guess what? Jesus was actually in the garden, which it's phenomenal that it was a garden because that's where it all began. There was a first Adam who screwed things up, but there was a second Adam in that garden named Jesus. And when Mary, when Mary sees Jesus, she doesn't recognize Jesus. And she's, I think it's so moving how in love she was with Jesus. Can you just tell me where you've taken him? Can you just tell me where he is? And he says, Mary, it's me. <laughs> so guess what? The first evangelist, I said Peter was the first to preach the gospel. It's not true, sorry. The first evangelist was actually... This woman, who sees Jesus, and he goes, "Go tell my brothers, go tell my brothers." So she takes off. She goes. She goes into the upper room, and in the upper room, they're shut down, fearful because they were afraid they were going to die just like Jesus. But Mary busts through the doors, and the first gospels proclaimed, "I have seen the Lord." proclaims the gospel. I've seen him. Who? Who have you seen? I have been crucified with Christ. The one that died. The one that was buried. The Holy Spirit came inside of his lifeless body and resurrected him. Why? Because death had no grip upon him. Why? Because there was no sin inside of him. And because there was no sin inside of him, he paid a wage for us. But he was resurrected. He then was... He ascended to his father. His father exalted him and seated him at his right hand. And then Jesus said, Hey, dad, you know that spirit that raised me from the dead? The father, son, spirit. Will you send that into them? Why? Why? It is finished. What is finished? The work for them to be made right with us so let's send the spirit into them what is the spirit it's the spirit that resurrects it's the spirit that gives life it's the spirit that empowers what christ purchased for us therefore born-again believers aren't living their lives anymore why aren't they living their lives because paul i've been crucified with christ We associate and meet him in death, but then the Holy Spirit comes, resurrects us to new life. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. This is why the gospel is good news is because it has nothing to do with you. It actually takes care of you. And Jesus for eternity will bear the marks of him identifying with us in our state he for eternity will have holes in his hands i think it's the crowning achievement of his resume as king of kings lord of lords creator of all things who sustains all things holds all things together he has holes in his hands for eternity we will remember how much he loved us into the depths that he went to reveal that love and to pay that price and to work that salvation inside of us so that we could live with him forever. It was a rescue mission and he accomplished it. It deals with your past. Uh, A friend of mine um, told a story to me recently, he was in a meeting and uh, I know sometimes the Holy Spirit, that, that spirit that he sent inside of us, it helps us. That's one of his descriptions is he's a helper. And my friend was standing in front of thousands and, and, and the Holy Spirit highlighted this one lady. It was like, he said it was like a spotlight was on her. And he heard the Lord's voice and the Lord said this to him, said, said, son, do you know that woman's past? And my friend didn't know who the woman was and he was like, no, I don't know who she is. I don't know her past. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my friend and said, neither do I. And so he stood up in front of a thousand and he said, young lady, would you stand up? said, so I felt like the Lord was speaking to me and she was like really excited for a word. And uh, he said, the Lord asked me if I knew your past. And immediately when he said that, her head went down. He said, no, put your head up. Because I told the Lord I didn't and his response to me was neither do I. And he said, your past has been forgotten by your God. Your sins have been forgiven. Now, God's omniscient. God's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. So did he know her past? Yes, he knew her past, but guess what he chose to do? He chose to forget it. Why did he choose to forget it? Because she had been crucified with Christ. Her past no longer defined her. Jesus' past does, and the same invitation's available to people in this room. This is good news. So Paul... Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He says this, he says, the life I now live, say now live. So, so what has happened impacts him in the now. And then the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So, so the life I now live is marked by faith. What's faith? It's one of these spiritual words where it's like, just have faith, brother, okay, good. What does faith mean? Here's what faith means. Faith means to have full confidence in someone or something. Everyone say full confidence. So Paul is saying the life I now live, I live in full confidence in Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. I am confident in his ability to continue to lead and guide and sustain my faith. And this again is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I could, there's a number of things I wanna talk to you, but just for time's sake, I wanna show you a chart up here. And Before you put the chart up, um, there's gonna be two sides to this chart. And I'm gonna start on the left side, and I'm gonna walk through the left side, and then we're gonna go to the right side. But here's my question for you, is which side of this chart do you relate to more? Because it's a litmus for you to see if you're in faith. Because there's two focuses that you can have One is yourself, and the other is Jesus. And here's the graph. The one on the left is me. And I put works under me because we're very aware of what we can do, and we're very aware of what we cannot do. And oftentimes, the works that we produce either bring us a sense of satisfaction or a sense of insecurity, a sense of pride, or... uh, a sense of not measuring up, but, but we, we're born into this works mentality. And the Bible would call that the law. It, it, the law is an external code that defines what's right and what's wrong. And we all have this. We all have some code that we live by. It may not be the Ten Commandments, but the Bible says in Romans 2 that our conscience is that voice that says you're not measuring up or you are. And so this is behavior-focused. It's centered upon you accomplishing something before the eyes of God or you accomplishing something before the eyes of man. This is how the world operates. Uh, I think anyone that's under this is a slave to sin. Um, There's this voice that says you must do better or be a better person. But the Bible calls this dead works. It's not valid before the eyes of God. And again, it's centered upon you, your work, and what you've done. But faith in Jesus looks different. And so on the right-hand side, you'll see the, the fruits of faith in Jesus. So what's faith? Faith is being confident in what Jesus has done for you. And faith gives you access to grace. What's grace? Grace is an empowerment or an ability to do something that you could not do before. And God gives us grace, our lives. It's all grace, actually. It's his blessing upon our life. It's his uh, uh, work inside of us. It's grace. It's access by faith. And this is, it forms our beliefs. And so uh, many of us, we don't have a behavior problem. We have a belief problem. Do you know if you believe you're a sinner, guess what you're going to do? You're going to sin. Sin. But if you can change the belief system because of the new nature that's inside of you, and you actually believe that you're forgiven, holy, blameless, and the righteousness of God, guess what you're going to start doing? Righteous deeds are going to start showing up in your life. Your conscience gets cleansed, and you start to live with a Christ conscience, a reality of what he has done for you, and you get set free from you. And this is good news. This is called being a slave to righteousness, And I I see a lot of believers that are like, man, I've responded to the gospel. I've prayed that prayer. I've tried Christianity, it doesn't work. And I always look at them and I say, no, you just didn't mature. This message has to mature inside of your heart. We have a lot of newborn babies in here and I've never seen a parent get upset at a three month old because they can't talk. Do you know why? It's because they're three months old. They're not feeding them steak. Do you know what they're feeding them? Milk. And we have to mature as believers in the Lord. And I think the church has become a big nursery ward. With a bunch of newborn babies wondering if this thing works. And it does. But you've got to persevere. You've got to mature. Maturation is so important. Because you're a new person. And you're alive to the work of Jesus. You're alive to the one who's been resurrected. His life Begins to define ours. This is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the body of the Son of God who gave himself for me. So I've asked a couple of my friends to give a testimony based in Galatians 2.20. They're just going to paraphrase this verse for themselves. And I want you to hear this. And then we're going to take communion together. I think a couple of people are going to get born again this morning. Is that good? All right. So let's listen. You can actually take a picture of this. This is actually really good to use for your family at lunch today, before you go eat lunch and watch the Masters. You can uh, snap this and do what these guys have done. So we're going to start with Miss Beth. Hi, Miss Beth.
1: I was crucified with Christ, and my insecurity masked as pride. The desperate approval from others and the need to feel important is dead. I was feeling threatened by everyone around me who was better at something, better liked, more important, or carried more favor. But now I am alive by faith in Jesus' work that has produced a humility that comes from knowing my true identity in Christ And walking in the fullness of what he has called me to. I no longer live in constant comparison with my brothers and sisters in Christ. But I now walk in joy, celebrating the strengths of others. And how God brought us together as family to see him glorified. Thank you, Jesus.
0: I have seen the Lord. I was... Crucified with Christ and the righteousness that I worked so hard to produce, that wore me out and beat me down, that keeps trying to rear its ugly head is dead. And now I'm alive by faith in Jesus' work that has produced a man in rest, a priest who's with at peace with God, a husband who's learning to love, a father who's learning to help, and a friend who's learning to be faithful.
1: I was crucified with Christ. <laughs> in my striving to gain affection from my father by keeping a tally of how good or bad I was doing is dead. Every impure desire, my fear of man, my fear of death and my addiction to pornography is dead. And now I am alive by faith in Jesus' work to the love of my dad. I'm alive to his judgment of me that says I am right and I am clean. I'm alive to purity of heart,
0: soul, mind, and body. I am the righteousness of God (laughs) in Christ. I am alive to being as bold as a lion. I'm alive to everlasting, abundant life. I'm alive to God. I was crucified with Christ, and my performance-oriented mindset is, mindset is dead. Living my life based on what others thought versus what I knew to be true inside, I was living my life based on other people's rules, and that is dead. And now I am alive by faith in Jesus' work that has produced sonship, unconditional love, and the freedom to be exactly who I was created to be. So what about you? Um, I, I have a call and a response to what you've just heard. Uh, this is the gospel. And for some of you, it's, it's time to identify uh, with the death of Jesus and to say, I want to be crucified with Christ. I want to give my life to him. And for others, it's, it's time to get back to the cross. Get back to the place where he met you. Because it's our role to meet him in that grave and to stay dead. <laughs> because the Holy Spirit does his best work with dead things. It's proven. And so here's what I want to do. I want you to close your eyes. And if that's you, if you're like, man, I, I, I need this. I'm returning back to the place where you met me, or Lord, I want to meet you for the first time. And I want to declare with these, that Lord, my life is not my own, I'm giving it to you once again. I want to identify that the work of salvation is found on the cross, and it's me giving myself to you. If that's you, and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you feel a tug inside of your heart, I want you to stand to your feet. I want to stand up and just say, Lord, I am re-anting. I'm re-connecting. I'm doing it once again or for the first time. I need this.